Okay, y'all. So I've got the perfect, perfect theme song for this week's episode. Did y'all listen to the song that I sent you? Yes. Yes. And what do you think about it? Uh, yeah, those are quite the lyrics. Those lyrics are insane. I mean, it's it's so yeah. So Vivian Green, right? Vivian Green. She was she write that joint um, years ago. Emotional roller coaster. Have y'all heard that song? I nope. Have. Yeah. What? So come on now, yeah. Justine. Really? <laughs> y'all, I'm a I'm a millennial. You know, like her taste in music is a little. Okay, fair enough. But okay, so this different. song, this song actually isn't even that old. This this is like this is like early to mid two thousands, like two thousand five ish. I don't know, I don't know when it was actually was produced, but but I thought about this episode in light of um, our conversation about about kind of breaking from toxic whiteness and everything, and yes. and and the hook just got me, and I was just sitting this morning, I was like, oh this is it this is it right here and but so like the hook is like this right? it's, just, uh, it's um i gotta go i gotta leave so please don't make it hard for me i hey. gave you enough i'm tired of love i've gotta let it go oh. the hey, hook hey, is hey. just stupid because the lyrics mm-hmm. okay it's about relationships right so she's saying you know, so couldn't have given you more. I tried to love you like you love me, maybe for the wrong reasons, just maybe. And she's going on just on and on about describing this relationship where the way that she was loving this person in this situation, it's a it's a relationship romantically, but so every analogy breaks down. But she's talking about how this relationship was completely one sided. And now it's just time to bounce, you know? Yes. And so at the beginning of the song, she's like kind of talking to herself about kind of kind of getting herself ready to go. And she's okay. So so grab your sweats, grab, you know, grab all the baby stuff out of the out of the dresser drawer. Grab the don't forget the baby. Grab the baby and you know, (laughs) pack up your stuff, get in your car, grab your keys and leave. And Mm -hmm. so it just got me thinking about that, about man, I've had my own personal experience of okay, mm-hmm. this is all I can take in this situation. And I have really tried deeply to kind of, you know, love and serve and be long suffering. And, and ultimately it wasn't reciprocated and it was just time to go. So that's why I like, I like that song just really grabbed me. And so the subtitle of it is, so it's called gotta go, gotta leave. And then in parentheses it's like, tired mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because i know right tired. that's the thing about the title mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like tired you, like you could just hear right it's like it's like uh you, you're saying the first part and then you get to the tired part it's like the shoulders drop tired mm-hmm. that's yep that's exactly right you just, know that's 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 the visual for me when when yes. i just just looking at the song title because i never now okay i was giving justine a hard time but before you send it i never heard the song either come on uh, now yeah I know. you call yourself a music lover yes andres yeah i know i uh, <laughs> taking we're taking we are we removing cards away now <laughs> yep andres you're canceled right <laughs> right <laughs> your black so, card is revoked <laughs> yes um but yeah you can just like just feel the sh- shoulders dropping and just the resignation of it 
Like mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. Yes. It takes a long time to get there. It, it does. does. It does. I mean, I mean, cause things happen and then it takes quite a, quite, quite a few things for you to first even notice. And then you go like, no, that's not really what's happening. That can't be right. Yeah. You know, yeah. yes. this is crazy. So that's exactly yeah, I, it. I totally get it. And, and it's that, that heartbreak, that last incident that just completely breaks your heart. Like the straw that broke the you know, camel's back. That, yeah. That, that's the tired. That's the, mm-hmm. okay. Yes. I know what to do. Yes. I've been known for a very long time and it's, it's time. And, yes. and not, and not tired in the, in the proper sense of how you say tired, just it's, oh, I'm tired. I'm just tired. Not right. I'm not tired. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Weary. It's, yes. Yeah. It's just, it's just that. So greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while Black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kinyi. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. So are y'all ready for this one? We are. Definitely. So this episode is called Gotta Go, Gotta Leave, Exiting Toxic Whiteness. Hmm. So guys, this, this is such a good and rich conversation. And I think before we get too far into it, I think we need to let people know that this will be a two-part episode because, again, there's just so much here to unpack that we won't be um, under like even the last episode length. But before we start today's conversation about toxic whiteness, we have to mention something that happened. So just last night, Congressman John Lewis of Georgia died from cancer and Congressman Lewis was was 80, 80 years old. And, you know, I mentioned that because honestly, I I feel some kind of way about John Lewis's passing. And go ahead, Andres. Oh, I was just gonna ask you, like, what's your first memory of John Lewis? Because here's a here's a weird thing, because um I too feel some kind of way about it, which is weird because I mean, I've, I've known about him uh, for, for quite a while, but the news last night uh, when we, when we saw this, when I saw this, it, for some reason it just impacted me. And, and the reason it's impacting me is like, I thought, well, here's the thing. I, my thought was, well, I thought superheroes didn't die. And mm. the superheroes of the civil rights movement, the one that I read about in textbooks and saw in movies, documentaries, they're starting to mm. leave us. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, and, that's exactly the, right. Yeah, and the thing is that I know there are other people who are, who are picking up the mantle, but maybe we've romanticize mm. 
Martin, uh, now John Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and, and yes, that I don't see other figures like that coming after them. And I'm wondering if the civil rights movement has uh, evolved into something else. Because there was a sense of there was a sense of loss, mm-hmm. that yeah. or emptiness that I'd like. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know if there's another John Lewis that we know of right now. <laughs> right. I mean, you know who's that? Who who are the Emma Ks? Who are the Malcolms? Who mm-hmm. are the John Lewis? Who, who I mean who who are they? Right. Twenty twenty. So so that's the thing. Like for me, you know, I on the one hand you know, we romanticize these, these giants of people. Right. But on the other hand, um, there's very, very re- real reason why I think we should celebrate them. So you asked the question of, right. of like when I'd first kind of heard about it or whatever. And so I first started paying attention in, you know, to, to John Lewis and especially like to, for example, to SNCC, the student nonviolent coordinating committee from the sixties from the documentary eyes on the prize that came out in the, I think it was the late eighties that, that it came out. And so the documentary eyes on the prize talks about, it just kind of, it's unfolded by it's, it's, it unfolds the story of the civil rights movement um, as told by Julian Bond, who was one of the founders of SNCC. And so he was one of the narrators. And so that's when I first heard about it or heard about him and just kind of seeing him, him in those documentaries. And and you see like, you know, um, like Ella Baker, or you see uh, Diane Nash and you see like all of these, like, and these were young people, like they were in their twenties. Right. You know, John Lewis right. was, he was, he was in his twenties. And so when I think about, um, so, and, and, and the reason why I, I keyed it on it then is because when my father gave me that documentary series, I was about 22. I was young. Mm-hmm. I, I was, mm-hmm. so I was, I was, I was about the age. Oh, no, I was the age that John Lewis was when, yeah. when, when he, um, when he and Hosea Williams led the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, mm-hmm. you know, so he was 22 years old when that happened. And so when I think about this and I think about it wasn't just what he did when he was 22, it's what he did from then on. And so mm-hmm. on the one, on the one hand, you know, you say, well, okay, we, we, we romanticize our heroes and everything, but this dude to me he's an og right right Right. so 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 he's one of my i feel like he's one of my spiritual ogs and you know in the in the movement so to speak because Mm -hmm. he just he he was a soldier like quite you know almost quite literally right so the the student nonviolent coordinating committee and the southern christian leadership conference the way they put together those marches and the precision with which they were thinking about how to do nonviolent direct action mm-hmm. yeah. was, was a, it was nothing short of a military campaign. Yes. So yes. to me, John Lewis was a soldier into the highest order. And so yeah. when I think about what he did from that 
And I think about, you know, the fact, so he served, John Lewis served for 30 years in Congress. Wow. Kept getting reelected and reelected and reelected and reelected by his, you know, by his constituents in, 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 in Georgia. I think the fifth district, I think is where Atlanta is. Um, But, but so he, for 30 years and he was a, he was a presidential medal of freedom recipient Mm -hmm. You know, which was given to him by former President Barack Obama. So him yeah. fighting for, like, so there's the documentary it opened up with the lyrics are, I know the one thing we did right was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the mm. prize. Hold on. The prize. on. <laughs> and so keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. To some extent, part of what he was fighting for was the ability to see maybe not in his own lifetime, but maybe his kids or grandkids to see there be a first black president. And here Mm. he was who lived to see it. And not only did he see it, he had that president bestow upon him the highest civilian honor in our land. Crazy. Totally crazy. So, so um, I know, I know we're going to, I'm sorry. Something that you mentioned about being a soldier, right? mm -hmm. And, and, and I know we have plans to, discuss this a little bit further on future podcasts but something that we also need to talk about is what if with all these heroes how much christianity shaped their activism hmm. right yes absolutely you talk about christ christian soldier right but it was oh, the yeah, christian yeah. part it was the christian part activated yeah. the soldier, the soldier. <laughs> the christian that's, part. Exact, that's right. exactly right that's exactly you know I mean? right it's yeah. not just it's not just it's not just soldier for the sake of being soldier. Mm-hmm. It's yes. because it's the Christian part, and that's yeah. and that's the main de- thesis that we, we want to talk that we want to uh, project and, and and keep throughout all our episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us who are in who who profess to be Christians, yeah. right? Yeah, that no, that's that's good. The Christian part activates the soldier into that's doing. Good. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and I know we want to wrap up this segment real quick, but there was a there was a quote from Jamar Tisby, uh, and he put it on Twitter a while back. And he said, before John Lewis's passing, he said, "We cannot understand or give due respect to people such as Fannie Lou Hammer, Ida B. Wells, Medgar Evans, mm. and more without paying attention to their religion, Christianity. Yes, yeah. they were yeah. political activists. Yes, but their faith fueled their activism. Historians and scholars would do well to study." the sophisticated political theology of movement leaders as a form of intellectual history mm. for activists. It may even be a form of appropriation to celebrate or emulate these figures wow, without, without also studying their faith commitments. That's amazing. Wow. That's fantastic. Is that from the color of compromise or that's just, no, a, no, that was a just, tweet. A, that was a just tweet. a tweet. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, and, and, and even so even, it's the same thing. It's the same level of faith that fueled Malcolm X's activism and mm-hmm. Muhammad yeah. Ali's activism, mm-hmm. right? And so, mm-hmm. and so for for our listeners who are, you know, if you've stumbled upon uh, upon this podcast and this is your first time, um, I want you to. So in our in our 
introductory episode, we talked about that this is a, it's called the Christian Soldier Podcast and yes. our social location is as Christians, but this is not a specifically Christian theological podcast. We just want you to know if you're new and this is your first time hearing it, you didn't hear the first episode. We want you to just to know that that is our, our, our social location. So, so like Andres, mm-hmm. what you're saying is, yeah, it's, it's completely perfectly appropriate that, that action, the action of those folks were driven by their worldview and their worldview mm-hmm. was as a Christian. And so, so, Christian, I, yeah. so, uh, and, and except with the exception, obviously of Malcolm X and, 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 and Muhammad Ali, but they're, yeah, the, all that activism, all that weight, all that heft, all of that sacrifice was because they had some theological understanding of who they were. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that can be underestimated or, or, or understated. I believe I, I agree with you there. Um, yeah, if you missed that part, if you missed that part, you missed a lot. Yeah. So, so I just want to share just a couple of things, right? Just a couple of, as we think about and honor the life of John Lewis, that Again, he was, I just want to share a couple of things that he was the presidential medal of freedom winner. Like I just said, um, that, that he, that his activism never stopped. So he boycotted the, the, the inauguration of, of George W. Bush and Donald Trump due to, for George W. Bush, due to the belief that, um, or due to the idea that, that it was a contested election and that the civil or the Supreme court decided who won the election, even though Mm. Al Gore in 2000 won the popular vote. Um, And, and, and so he, uh, John Lewis protested that inauguration by not attending, which it was his right to do as an elder statesman in Congress. Um, And then for Donald Trump, he, because of the, the Russian interference in the 2016 election, and because John Lewis very much thought of President Donald Trump as a problematic figure with respect to civil rights, he boycotted that election too. Okay. Then uh, John Lewis is also one of the big, they call him the big six of so the six people who planned and organized the March on Washington. And so he organized that with A. Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin, who were both gay men, by the way. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll have a different conversation about, you know, LGBTQ people in the civil rights movement. Um, but mm-hmm. but uh, so, so you have A. Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin, you have, you know, and, and you have uh, James Farmer, you have Roy Wilkins, you have Whitney Young, and of course, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Those are the six or seven people who, who planned the March on Washington. And oh, by the way, the March on Washington was planned by, by Rustin and A. Philip Randolph as early as the 1940s. Oh, wow. It wasn't. It wasn't original to the civil rights movement. It was. It was out of the work that they were doing. A. Philip Randolph was the founder of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, and so they were fighting for for justice and civil rights before they were a part of you know kind of that civil rights movement kind of thing in in, in the sixties. So. Another thing that I mentioned already that John Lewis did, he planned and executed the first attempt. They came known, they became known as Bloody Sunday to march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Mm. Dr. King and the SCLC didn't get involved until the second attempt. Mm. 
right? So, so like the movie Selma, which I haven't seen it, but all you see in the movie Selma is, I forget the actor's name, but he's, he's playing MLK, right? But let's be clear about SNCC planned that march. Hosea Williams and John Lewis planned that march. 22-year-old, two 20-year-old black men planned that march. And it was for, you know, and, 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 you know, again, he served 30 years in Congress. He fought for healthcare reform, education reform, anti-poverty programs, and marriage equality. Hmm. So this, this isn't just, hey, a famous black man died, let's all mourn. This is, yeah. let's celebrate the life of, of, of a, I would call him a patriot. Like I said in the last, uh, in one of the previous episodes about me being a patriot in the in the sense that the patriots thought of themselves. If you think of what the patriots thought about activism, you can't help but think about John Lewis. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, this is, this is a huge, tremendous loss, I feel like. And I also want to just mention that yesterday we lost two giants. Mm -hmm. CT Vivian also died yesterday. CT yeah. Vivian was also same day. the same day was also um, a young activist was also a member of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference was also a minister an author a theologian, you know, a, a heavyweight in his own right, you know, um, left after the civil rights movement started community organizations started kind of a an urban seminary. I mean, these, these are just mm. giants and juggernauts of men. Like yeah. these are, you know, and I, I remember just the, the seeing footage, for example, of of him um, getting beat over the head with a nightstick. This is C.T. Vivian getting beat over the head with a nightstick and still pointing to and talking to the 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 police officers that bashed him in the head about how we're trying to fight for democracy. And yet you're trying to kill democracy in the streets. I mean, mm. th these are, these are, so for me, I mean, yeah, I feel some kind of way about this. I, I, I promise you I do. You know, these are, uh, these are yeah. men that either directly or indirectly, I have modeled my life after in so mm. many ways. One of my OGs died yesterday. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I just, I, you know, I want to, I wanted to just, you know, before we talked about our topic honor. today, I wanted to just honor those men mm -hmm. in the way that we as people of color, we honor our ancestors and we honor our elders, you know? And so, and so I, I want to just make sure that we, that we gave that some, some it, it's due, it's due moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now, you know, this, and so this isn't, you know, as I said, so this isn't the, the, the entirety of today's conversation. So I want to just kind of switch gears. Um, but I wanted to take a moment to pause and honor this really, really great man. Um, and so, but in, in, so in other episodes, uh, Justine and I have talked about our experiences with white Christians. And so Andres, you know, you've said that, um, that, that Justin and I have had more conversations than what, than, than you have, but I wanted to ask you um, that, you know, so you, you being someone who, you know, currently tends, attends a predominantly, you know, majority culture, evangelical church, um, what have you noticed and what conversations have you had with respect to race, you know, for your, from your white friends and your white colleagues? Yes. 
there's a range to this entire conversation. Uh, uh, and, I, and like you mentioned, I haven't, I haven't had that many conversations. Um, as a little bit of a uh, background, like before 2008, I, I hadn't given the race conversation a, a, a whole lot of thought. Now, I, I did, but it was, it was in the context of, like I've mentioned in previous episodes, um, that, man, you guys talk a lot, a lot about race or this country mm-hmm. talks a lot about race. That's, for me, that was the extent of, of my thinking about race. It was just an observation. Then 2008 came and Barack Obama, our, or previous to 2008, Barack Obama started running for president. And my first thought was like, this country is not going to elect anyone named Barack. Right. And that was... Um, yeah, my, my, that name just my, sounds my, way my, too black. <laughs> right. You know... J- you know, like, you know, not only is he black, his name Barack, really? No, you're not going anywhere, right? But as the primaries went along and the election, the campaign, and you can just start hearing the dog whistles, right? And that would just catch my attention. It's like, okay, nobody's really talking about this. Um, and so it was, it, it was, if, Race for me, the conversation about race was a slow burn for me. And I, I, I think I want to pinpoint it to that, to, the, to that race. And of course, then 2016 came. And, and then there were other acts of violence against uh, Black people that it wasn't just talked about in church. So in 2016, I was still just observing conversations that I thought were going to happen. Uh, I was really just amazed how I'm like you, Abdul. I, I, I don't like saying the phrase white people. I just don't know what else to say. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. But it's just like, I thought this was obvious. Hmm. Really, you know, that like, wait a minute, this seems to be happening to people that look more like me than happening to people that look more like you our white brothers and sisters. And I was like, wait a minute, how can you not see it? And mm-hmm. when you saw it, how can you give it another explanation? How can you, how, <laughs> you know, how can you, how can you find something else except what, what it is, man? Right. So, um, so my, my, my conversations are a little bit tainted. Because um, what I've seen you go through, Abdul, and what I've seen is, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I never thought about this until just now. I don't think I've had a whole lot of conversations because I've prejudged them. Mm. I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that I know where this is going to end up. Okay, because it's going to end up, okay, I'm talking to someone who sees it, gets it, and is doing something, reading the books, going to conferences, uh, listening to the podcast, asking questions, and they're on the path, and they get it. That's what's one group of folks. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's the, the opposite group that 
they just want to excuse it away. It's, I don't, I don't want to talk about this folks. Yeah. Now I recently, and you know, you may laugh about this because I saw it in 2016, but I didn't really see it until probably just maybe a, a month or so ago. And that's the group where you think they're on the path, mm. but I had the misfortune of following them on, on social media. <laughs> <laughs> and you go like, wait a minute. Wait a second. <laughs> you're not who I thought you were. You're not who I thought you were. You're, in, you're inconsistent. And I don't yeah. want to paint myself as perfect either because I'm obviously I'm inconsistent, but I hate inconsistency. And I mm-hmm. you know, try to avoid it. Yeah. Um, that's for, for, for some reason that has surprised me where I thought, where I thought I was already prepared for that. I thought me going to, uh, 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 predominantly white church. I thought that I was prepared for that event but I wasn't prepared for that event. Um, this is this is not a conversation. This it's not. See, that's the thing. It, that one's not even a conversation I had with anyone. It was just, and it's, and it was, and it's not just one person. It's just, I've seen a small sample that worries me. Yeah, where I'm like, huh? Okay, now now. Now, who else is like that? Who mm-hmm. else um, I thought was one way and when push comes to shove, won't be that way. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of uh, paranoia. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, For so lack I of a gonna, better word. I was going to say hypervigilance. Hyper, that's a much better word. Way so, better word. Yeah. Now, now I, I'd also say that generally speaking, hypervigilance is a response to trauma. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. so hypervigilance is one of the things that's described of the behaviors of victims of PTSD. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So so I have to ask you so so two questions. One is for yeah. clarity and two is a follow up to well, both are follow up to, to what you just said. But the first question is, you know, when you said, well, uh, you said a few minutes ago things that you saw me go through. And I'd love it for it just just to give a quick snapshot of what you meant by that. But the second thing is then if you are now becoming, say, hyper vigilant or, you know, to, to, in the language that you use too, then what was the event or series of events that you feel like were traumatic for you that resulted in this hypervigilant response? So I'll take, I'll take your first question first. I thought I was going to take the second one first, but I'll take your first question first. <laughs> okay. The thing that I saw with you was just 2016. And, uh, you know, we're just in 2020, we're repeating a cycle of, there were quite a, there were murders against um, uh, uh, African-American men yeah this feels like groundhog day by the way it does (laughs) i mean we were here four years ago yeah (laughs) um and how those conversations went 
and that you were trying to talk to certain people and certain people that you uh, trusted and you were just going round and round and round and round and round, right? And I thought that was just extremely odd that a decades long friendships. Mm. Yeah. Um, that decades long friendships would question mm. things that you're, you're saying. I mean, that at the very least would be like, well, maybe I'm wrong about this. Let me give Abdul the benefit of, of the doubt in this subject. And I yeah. hope I'm not being too general, but I don't want to be too specific either. Yeah. Uh, just, just enough to say that you had a bunch of friends that, I mean, you've gone through stuff together, like deep stuff together. Yeah. And you would open your heart about these issues. And I was starting to listen to them. Um, I, I wasn't having the conversations, but I was observing the conversations. And the thing that struck me the most was how hard you had to struggle to make, like, I mean, and I say decades, like this, you know, over 10 year friendships. And you had to like, like be a lawyer and put on a case and you had to go. So you had to jump so many hoops. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in some cases, it's 20 plus year friendships. Like when I supposed to like, Oh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is cultural because you would think, yeah. Like I was starting to say, like, Maybe this thing it is is cultural because I I would I mean you and I have been friends yeah over ten years too now right I think it's that if yeah if you come to, to me with something yeah so you come to me with something you know even if I'm a little skeptical I I'm like okay I mean he he's not gonna just tell me this for no reason he's just not just making up stuff you know I'm like so yeah that, so. Anyway, that's that was that was that's the main point yeah. of, of your first question. The second question is a little bit of heart. Oh. Okay, so I was gonna say that that's that's just one of the things that you, that's one of the things that you would expect from a friend, right? So if you have been a friend of someone from any period for any period of time, if you share your heart with them or something a skeptic or, or something like that, then you expect. It's an expectation, one that I don't believe is an unfair one, but there's an expectation that, like you said, I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt because right. they are my friend and they're not a stranger. Right. And, and that, that proximity allows for a higher level of credibility. Or so I thought, mm-hmm. you know? Right, right. <laughs> right. So that was, that's, that was something that just caught my eye, that... I don't, yeah, this, how on the subject of race, and it's always the subject of race, <laughs> like <laughs> you, would, mm-hmm. you would think that you're not like kidding, like you're not just crying wolf, that like you're not just yeah. saying these things just to say these things, you know? So that was, that was my surprise there. Um, yeah. On the second question, I don't know if there's a thing that I could say happened that got me into wait what was that word again hyper vigilance hyper vigilance um uh i think it was just just more a series of things and 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 it's 
it's has to do more with social media, mm. you know, where people just feel to be a little bit more, I don't know, there's more carefree or whatnot mm-hmm. with, you know, their thoughts. And, and everybody's got the right, obviously everybody's got the rights to their own thoughts. Um, but it's, it's, it's the people that I thought were of, of a, of a certain mindset that just, I don't know, just surprised me. I, I, I don't, I don't have a clear answer on number two, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I, I, what I don't want to do is put up a wall, you know? Um, but like I said, like I said, I am kind of wondering like, mm-hmm. you know, like who else in there? Like, and this is real. I mean, and you know, whoever hears it, hears it. Yeah. That it's like, who can I, who can I go to? Right. Right. I'm right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, that I won't have the situation that you got four years mm-hmm. ago. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Andres, then would you say that to some extent, perhaps you were somehow even traumatized by what your friend Abdul went through, you know, and having to witness that. Um, And now you're kind of, and, and now you're, you know, like you're kind of in a self-protection mode, you know, like you, you're like, you really want to guard yourself. You want to make sure that you don't endure the same things. And so and I like how you talked about walls, you know, like you don't want to have those walls. Right. But how do you go about that? Right. Like it's somewhat of a tension. Yeah. That's interesting that you mentioned trauma. I mean, because, well, first of all, I wouldn't have characterized it as trauma mm-hmm. when I saw it in somebody else, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, it's like, it is like, wait a minute, I've seen this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and yeah. I know how it can I know how it can end up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and then and for for example, I'm not even I'm not even saying that you were traumatized because I, I don't believe that's for mm-hmm. me to say. I'm just saying right. so so that yeah. when I think about the you know, so there's there's two sides of there's there's first there's hyper arousal and then there's hyper vigilance. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So, so that there's something that happened that made your radar tick up a little bit. Wait a minute, mm. what's going on here? You know, yeah. I've seen this before. <laughs> right? I think that's it. I think I think it's the I think it's the thought of I've seen this before. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and I thought that I wouldn't be surprised by that. That if I saw it, I wouldn't feel some kind of way about it. Mm-hmm. I I thought. Four years later, if if I were to encounter that, that I would be like, oh, I see it, and I was expecting it, and I'm not going to get feel some kind of like I said, feel some kind of way about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my surprise is that I'm feeling some kind of way about it. Mm. That's mm. the and I don't know if it's disappointment. I don't know how to characterize the feeling. Yeah. Mm. And again, yeah. it's it's a handful. Well, not even a handful. Yeah. It's just it's it's just the idea of people that you thought wouldn't be like like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. So, so if we can, if we can switch gears a little bit and, and you can mm-hmm. keep talking about this too in, in this next, in this next piece, but um, so let's, let's maybe switch gears a little bit and talk about, so not just those individual interactions and those kind of things, but what about the kind of the, 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 the places and spaces kind of thing, you know? So, so what about toxic whiteness and spaces? So let's think about, so for example, um, and I feel like we should, we should explain what we mean by, by toxic whiteness, right? So when I think of, um, when I think of toxic whiteness, you know, I think a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of another companion way of putting it is, is toxic masculinity. Um, and so, you know, and, and first I want to, I want to, I want to defer to, to Justine, you know, to just kind of, if, if, I mean, I can read the, 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 the text, the, the definition I get off the, off the interwebs, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but, but when I think about from an experiential perspective, for you as a woman, what does toxic masculinity mean for you and how do you interact with that concept? Hmm. I would, I would think of, well, I would define toxic masculinity as this idea that masculinity can only look one way, right? So we take masculinity and we put it in a box and typically that box includes violence, um, hypersexuality, um, you know, men, men do not have feelings, men don't cry, you know, so just all these little stereotypes that we have collected over over centuries, and kind of decided that this is what a real man looks like. And if you don't fit that box, then you are not man enough. Mm, That's really good. That's really good. So, so then, okay, so then describe for a second, if you if if you can, what does what does toxic masculine what does toxic masculinity look like when it's aimed at you or 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 when you see it or experience it or feel it hmm i would think <laughs> this is so good i would say and i've had these 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 kinds of conversations with my female friends is even when you're interacting with men a lot of men can maybe have a really hard time with just being friends with girls, you know, like they almost feel like they need to get something from that friendship. And even in the context of when we talk about emotions, I maybe sometimes feel like I cannot really go to guys to talk about emotional stuff, you know? Um, And that's kind of this whole idea that I have imbibed that men are not they're not able to care, you know, like they're not able to feel, they're not able to empathize, but women are, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would say on on a personal level, those are some of the ways it kind of impacts me. Okay, that's, thank you for that. That's really good. So then, so then by extension, what do we mean guys by toxic whiteness? So if using, for example, toxic masculinity as the way into this concept for some people, Mm -hmm. what, how would you guys define or explain what toxic whiteness is? Well, I, I like to, just to focus on the word toxic, mm-hmm. right? 
um, I mean, the definition itself is just is is toxic is an environment or something or someone that causes harm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So toxic is poisonous. It's just bad. It's unpleasant. It's it's harmful. Whatever you put past toxic is is this is this causing me harm? Yeah. Is this causing me pain? Is this causing my mind, my spirit, mm. you know, just, just to not feel well. And yeah. I think all of us have that instinct, like what right. we were talking about in the previous conversation, you know, that hypervigilance, like, mm. wait a minute, something is off here. Something yeah. is, something is not right. Um, so for me, for, in, in, for me, I, I just want to start with, with the idea of, of what toxic is yeah. you know toxic relationships you know um, yeah relationship where you're being gaslighted all the time right mm. <laughs> right right <laughs> I mean, if that's not toxic i don't know what is right yes <laughs> you, know, you you keep yeah. coming up with them hey this is happening like are you sure because mm. i don't know yeah no that's good <laughs> well mm. and uh, and because, i'm sorry go ahead i don't know that that was basically so you were talking about toxic whiteness and uh in mm. in, in, in particularly yeah uh, yeah, yeah it's just that idea i mean because toxic whiteness and we we talked in in previous episodes about the idea of whiteness that it's the standard mm-hmm. to everything else right mm-hmm. so all three of us as people of color we come into an environment uh filled with whiteness and if the idea is that whiteness is on top of the chain, then by definition, all of us are different. That in itself is toxic. It's toxic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I keep, you know, I keep thinking about, um, I keep thinking about this idea of, of, um, like operationalizing terms and concepts, you know, and it mm-hmm. comes from, so it comes from um, the work of, he, he's a trauma therapist, Resma Minikin. And, you know, he's also here in the Midwest, a dude from Minneapolis. And, you know, I'm just discovering his work uh, lately in the last probably month or so. And thanks, by the way, Andres, for showing me that, you know, um, for, for, for showing me Resma's work. Um, but, you know, when I think about that, I think about him using the idea of let's operationalize these concepts. And so when I think about toxic whiteness, to me, a, a parallel is the idea of like a hostile work environment, right? So let's like, so replacing the word toxic with hostile to help folks mm-hmm. understand the concept better. So like, so thinking about where, where, um, a situation is really made difficult or challenging or even impossible because of the inherent discrimination or the discriminatory words and those kind of things. So, so, um, and, and just kind of words and deeds and actions and behaviors and inferences and things that come from people in, in a given space, whether that's at work in a hostile work environment or whether that's, you know, in social circles, you know, so we don't call it, you know, um, hostile church environment right but it definitely can be toxic and hostile in that in that regard so so yeah so um so i guess the the, the first question is 
how do you identify? So like there's there's two basic questions to to answer in this conversation. One, mm-hmm. how do you identify when a when a when an environment is toxic or harmful or hostile? Or, you know, like how do you identify a harmful, toxic white supremacist space? Right? Yeah. And that's and the second question is how do you know when it's time to leave it? Yes. Yes. So hit it go ahead the first one yeah yeah you know i would say for me and andres mentioned a very awesome term that i like he talked about instinct Mm. and instinct is just it's just a natural god-given uh thing that we have you know every human being has instinct actually i think every living thing has an instinct right even plants and animals have that and so i would say one if you are in a space as a person of color where you cannot be yourself because of whiteness, I think that can be an indication, you know, like that can be an indication that, Hey, I might be on a, so I think you identify a place that has toxic whiteness. One, if you cannot be yourself as a person of color, you know, if you're constantly being policed, uh, be it because of how you dress, because of how you wear your hair, because of how you speak, because of how you sing, because of how you understand the world. I think for me, that would be just a huge indication. Um, and I feel like that that goes along really well with instinct. A lot of times, like you can just feel that something is off. Something here does not feel right. And I think we want to be able to listen to that internal little uh, person that's talking to us. So I think for me, like those would be some of the things that I'm looking out for. Yeah. I, I love the instinct thing. And it re- it reminds me of a Keith Sweat song from back in the day. Yes. It's an old, old school song. But yeah. There's a song called something ain't right. You know, and, and, and the hook is something, 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 something just ain't right. So yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's instinct. And I don't want to diminish what what Justin is saying, but but it definitely is instinct. Now, let me ask you this. Um, Toxic also is subjective. You know, know, there's the term snowflake, right? Mm -hmm. You know. Huh? Well, (laughs) because can an environment, we have that instinct, you know, we that spidey sense, like, wait a minute, something ain't right. That something, yeah. something ain't right. Right. Mm-hmm. And somebody else can go, Oh, stop being a snowflake or, mm. you know? Yes. I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering. I mean, it, it, well, I, I get it. It's all subjective. I get that, but we also don't want to be careful. I mean, we want to be careful that we're not, I don't know, like making it, making something too much now in the sense of let's say in, in the sense of whiteness mm-hmm. yeah um in the sense of toxic masculinity yeah mm-hmm. is is there is there an, an environment where you know we we might be making more than what it is mm. hmm. yeah that's i that's a good one so i Okay, let me try this. Let, um, I've thought about that a lot in, in kind of in different ways, but but the, the crux of it is I have spent a lot of time in places 
where I've had to think about that. You know, am am I am is this what I'm seeing, or am am I just making too much out of this? Is it all in my head and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, you because you we've had this conversation about you know like and and that oh man, I don't want I don't want the answer to be race. I don't want the answer to be racism. Uh, I don't yeah, you know I'm yeah. trying so hard right. that oh my gosh, let not this be about. my skin color. Yes, man. Yes, and and I I have. I have witnessed that I have I have experienced that professionally and personally for a long time and and my wife will tell you I am I am actually like the the last person to want it to be something that's about race like I will make every right. well could it be this or 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 this and she's like no honey no it's it's not this is what this is you know and and for me, it, as as a last resort, like process of elimination, is it this? Nope. Check. Is it this? Nope. Check. Right. Um, so I'm not so sure that. Well, I'll say it this way. I kind of feel like for someone, let's say there's someone white. If someone white asks me that question, mm. I feel like that question is a gaslight. Exactly. Yeah. So yes. So I feel like that. So um, I don't feel like a white person is qualified to ask me that question. Mm -hmm. Now, now I feel like a. (laughs) I could just imagine. Yeah. I. I, Yes. You know. Now a person of color. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You need to back on up right now, dog. (laughs) So. So. I think a, a person of color has the right to ask another one of us that question um, because depending on how the story is being told, we can even mm-hmm. kind of tell, right? Kind of using the, mm-hmm. the intuition thing again. So we're not hearing the whole interaction thinking the whole thing is 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 crap or not racist or whatever, mm-hmm. but we can hear there's something, okay, hold up. Even in how you're telling me this, I'm not so sure it's what you think it is, mm-hmm. right? And so I can hear that better coming from a person of color but then quite frankly i can hear i can't hear it i can't hear from a person of color who's watered down mm. i <laughs> i just can't like like if you've got if if you've got no justice lens or no racial awareness lens or if you are if you are a i'm gonna just say if you if you're a black person and you're still talking colorblindness and you ask me that question i ain't listening to you mm-hmm. I'm just not, <laughs> and I've got friends like that. I've got, you know, I've got, I got friends of color who, who that's their environment because, and, 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 you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I can't hear that from you. So, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think, but I do think generally speaking, most of us, I don't really know a black person who wants to make it about race all the time. Exactly. Right. I honestly don't. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, yeah. You know, I, what, what, what I hear when I hear my kinsman in the flesh to use the language in the Bible. <laughs> so when I hear my kinsman in the flesh, talk about racism and their experience with it and systemic and all that kind of stuff, what I hear is I am so tired of talking about it. I'm so yeah. tired of noticing it. And Oh my yeah. goodness, here we go again. Yeah. Right. That's what yeah. I hear. It's, I hear, 
I want to wake up and not have to think about it. Right. So, so, so I, I think the reason why I can't hear that from a white person is that the come from is different, right? The the come from for us is, oh, geez, you're not again. Right. Because we see it everywhere, not because we're looking for it, but because it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And the come from, from somebody else is most often well, this is the only thing you can talk about because you're not really good enough or qualified enough or skilled enough or educated enough or this or that or the mm-hmm. third thing enough. So you have to make mm-hmm. it about this. So race is your scapegoat. Race, race is your excuse. And that's all the subconscious conversation that's happening. And the the result of the words that get expressed are, are you sure it's about that? That's why it's a gaslight to me. Right. right. I mean, yeah. yeah, you can't be more condescending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, like, yeah, you're experiencing something because, and like, like we've said, none of us want to start off saying, oh my gosh, this is about race. Mm-hmm. So, but you're checking it off and then you end up there and then you tell somebody right. why about it. And then they come to you with like, are you sure? Right. From so, someone who's never had to deal with, with that. race. So yes. case in point, case in point, driving while black. Mm. Right. I don't know how many every every pretty much every black person I know has that I've heard talk that I've heard this conversation. I've heard them describe DWB stories. And Mm. and so when I was explaining a story of driving while black to my white Christian friends to my white Christian colleagues, to fellow, for example, fellow elders in a church that I helped to start, right? When I'm explaining the situation of me driving while black and getting pulled over with my with my wife and my three sons in the car, and the first question was, is this your vehicle? And getting thrown in the back of a police car because I was driving the wrong car in the wrong neighborhood in which I lived, by the way, when I described that situation and the fact that I was almost shot because an officer put his hand on his sidearm and took a step forward. When I'm describing my driving while black situation and how that situation completely was one of the defining moments for one of my son's in a not healthy way, the first question I got when I was describing that story and the pain and the humiliation that it caused for me to be put in handcuffs for no reason in front of my family, the first question I got was, well, what did you do? Not even sympathy. No, not even sympathy. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. we expect, not, I'm sorry, not you know, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we expect law enforcement doesn't pull people over for mm-hmm. reasons that aren't on the up and up. So you mm-hmm. had to have done something to get pulled over, and you had to have done something else to get you arrested. Exactly. Hell no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So and you know, Abdul, that actually goes back to the whole idea of toxic whiteness yes. because one of the tenets of whiteness is that whiteness equals goodness right mm. so mm. whiteness and white people and people who have whiteness are innately good 
What that means is that people that are not white or do not have whiteness are innately bad. So, oh, you got pulled over. You must have done something wrong to get pulled over. Yes. Right? And another thing that I've just been thinking about as we have these conversations is racism is not just about the, you know, like the physical, tangible stuff that we see. It's also about the psychological things that people of color have to constantly think through. Yes. So even now, when we think about racism, we have to ask ourselves, was it really about race? You know, so like in addition to everything that we have to think about, we have to think about whether we're making this up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. am I crazy? Is, yeah, right. right, 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 right. And even, right. even okay, so 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 one of the things that I feel like toxic whiteness also does too is, well, show mm-hmm. me the evidence. Exactly. Okay. Oh, man. So so which show is me- crazy, which is crazy because how can I show you? How can I tell you something is true when you don't know what true is? Yes. Oh, and, I mean, right. <laughs> and I mean, even. If, well, and yes. even if I show you the evidence, so it's really okay. You're still so gonna it, question it exactly right. So it doesn't matter. You're asking. You're not asking for evidence. You're asking. Mm. Show me something that I can say. Oh, see, that's why you're wrong. That's what you're asking for. So, so just, just like to to really kind of give a quick summary of this whole my whole one of my driving while black again one of them one of my driving while black experiences. You know, I was driving my 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 fancy british suv in a white suburb and i got pulled over because the light that lights out my that lights my um license plate was burned out that's what they told me why i got pulled over okay now the ps at the end of a long story is that that light was never burned out one of the first things I did when I left the police station from being arrested for no reason was look at the back of my car to see if that license plate was burned out. And it was not. It was not. What? Yes. Yes. We were we were driving home from, by the way, a Bible study. <laughs> so we were driving home. We 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 are in our part of town in 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 suburban Kansas, right? And um, we, and we're on the freeway. I wasn't speeding. I wasn't. I was obeying all the laws. And I and, and I, as I pull off the the offer at the exit to my house, here go the cherries. So mm. they told me why they stopped me. They said, "Do you, do you know why I stopped you? No." I stopped you because the light that burns out or the light your license plate is burned out. And I'm like, what, wait, what? And then they go here, let me show you. And me, because I didn't want to, I wasn't thinking this was racial, me not wanting to make it about race. I'm like, well, yeah, let me take a look at this. So I get out of the car Hmm. because I'm not thinking anything bad's going to happen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see this. So I get to the back of my car and that's when they jam me up. What? Man. In front of my family. So, so yeah. So that's why they, so, so if you're asking for evidence, that's why they told me they stopped me. That's what they said. Right. And so to find out that reason was a lie, it was a reason to harass a black man in a nice car in the wrong part of town. 
So what else mm-hmm. would that be? Hmm. Right. And right. then they threw me, they, they said, you're under arrest. I don't know why. And the point that the officer stepped up with his hand on his sidearm is because when they grabbed my arm, they tell me you're under arrest. I, I flinched reflexively. And that's when the cop stepped up. Um, and so my hands go up. No, wait, 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 wait. Don't shoot. I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm not presenting yeah. anything. But what yeah. am I under arrest for? They don't tell me. They don't tell me. They handcuff me. They put me in the back of this police car, which I can't sit in because I'm a big guy. And those back of those police police cars don't have any seats in them. I didn't know that. That, oh, by the way, was 2014. It wasn't 1964 in rural America. It was in the mm-hmm. North in, in 2014. Mm-hmm. In the right? Midwest. The, yeah. In the Midwest. So I'm in the back of this police car, my hands behind my back. I can't sit up straight because there's no space for me to sit up because the, the front seat is way back to the back seat. And so I'm laying down sideways, hogtied style in the back of this police car. They never tell me why I'm arrested. Wow. I get to the police station. The guy takes my wallet, unhandcuffs me, sits me on the other side of his desk while he goes on the other side of it, types some stuff in the computer and sit and and says and says, um, "Can you charge three hundred dollars to this to uh, to this card?" He pulls a card out of my wallet, and wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! Yes. And then I'm like, wow, yeah. And so he said, you have, you have a warrant for your arrest for unsafe backing. And what's, what's unsafe backing? Unsafe backing is a traffic ticket. Because months or a couple of months earlier, I'm leaving my okay. house Oh crap! I I'm, I'm in my house. I'm in a stop sign. I'm like, oh crap! I forgot something at home. I hit reverse, and I back into the car because I'm I'm in a residential area. And I back into my my goal was to I'm at the corner. There's a house right here. I'm gonna swing and do a three point turn back in this driveway to my this next to me, right? I have a I had a high at the time. I had a high SUV, and there's this low car behind me that I couldn't see, and I and I back into this car inadvertently. So they came. Everyone gets a ticket, blah, blah, blah. I missed the court date because I completely forgot about the court date. Mm-hmm. When you missed the court date, a warrant was issued for my arrest. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So that's what unsafe backing is. My ticket was for unsafe backing. So they sit me in front of the, at, at the desk and they charge the money to my card and I walk off the police station. So they don't even ask. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have any idea of why I was being put in that police department, that police car until the very, very, very end of that interaction. When the guy said, here's what this is for. Um, the, the, the fine or whatever it was, was 300 something bucks. They charged it. Here's my receipt. I'm out the door. So we're, 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 we're kind of off tangent, but I wanted to explain that story. But when, when I share that story mm-hmm. with my white Christian friends, pastors, fellow elders, and church planter guys, the question was, what did you do wrong? Like, they couldn't have stopped you for that. Wow. 
you know, and again, the reason why I was stopped wow. was because of the light that lights up my license plate was burned out. That's what they told me they stopped me for. So all that to say, that was completely toxic white, toxic whiteness, gaslighting of the highest order. Police only stop you if right. you're doing something wrong, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So stay tuned for the next installment of this conversation where we finish discussing when do you know that it's time to leave the christian soldier podcast is brought to you by the christian soldier collective a jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity cultural and ethnic conciliation and social justice within the church so until next time keep the faith pass the Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.